have a Bible? How many actually have physical Bibles? Few of you. How many have electronic Bibles? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter one. If you see me eating salad in a restaurant, I have been kidnapped and I'm trying to signal you. <laughs> the preacher said to his congregation, I want everyone who wants to go to heaven to stand up. Everyone stood up except for one old man in the front. So he said, I said, I want everyone who wants to go to heaven to stand up. The old man in the front row remained seated. Finally, the preacher said, Brother Williams, I said, everyone who wants to go to heaven, stand up. The old man said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were getting a group together to go now. One Sunday morning, a mother went in to wake her son and tell him it was time to get ready for church, to which he replied, I'm not going. Why not, she asked. I'll give you two good reasons, he said. One, they don't like me, and two, I don't like them. His mother replied, I'll give you two good reasons why you should go to church. One, you're 54 years old, and two, you're the pastor. <laughs> I I would I'd like to be 54 again. I'd like to talk to my mom again. Even if she wakes me up. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, we've been talking about this year. The year 2023. How many are ready to step into a new season? Anybody? That's what God has been putting on my heart. Lift up your eyes from the place where you are. Stop looking at your current circumstances. Stop being captivated by what you see. Lift up your eyes to see what God wants to show you. Lift up your eyes and behold the promises of God. Behold your promised land. The book of Hebrews tells us we live under a, a better covenant that is established on better promises. And, and I think that that needs to matter to us. That the stories in the Bible are not just history lessons. They, they are not just empty promises to make us look forward to heaven someday. The promises that God has made to us, they are supposed to stir something up inside of us and become something that we are willing to fight for, to go to warfare for, that we are willing to, to get alone with God and contend for. Because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Remember this, even though the land was promised to Israel, they still had to fight for it. 
They, they still had to engage the enemy in warfare. Now, now God would fight for them and, and with them, but the enemy still had to be engaged for them to inhabit their promised land. Should it surprise us that to see our promised land, the fulfillment of God's promises to us, should it surprise us that we must engage the enemy? Does that make sense? You know, God made promises to us, better promises established on a better covenant. And, and see, something happened when Jesus died on the cross that, that shifted everything that affected all the promises of God. Something happened that positioned us to receive all that he has promised. Now, I love the way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for all the promises of God are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Porque todas las promesas de Dios son en el sí. Y en el amén. Por medio de nosotros para la gloria de Dios. Because of Jesus dying on the cross and removing the enmity between us and God and positioning us in God in a place of favor, now all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, left us to Miranda through life, but you have given us your word to direct us. You have given us your Holy Spirit to empower that word and to bring clarity to that word. Father, we open our hearts to you today. Lord, let your word come alive and speak to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. If, if you are in Christ, the promises of God are yes and amen. But see, we must engage the enemy and, and stop agreeing with him. Be careful what you agree with. Be careful what you empower with the words that you speak. Be careful what you say amen to. Heaven and hell are both after your agreement. And as a Christian, as Christians, you and I are in a unique place of authority in the earth. You have been restored to God, and you've actually been given what Adam lost in the fall. You have the authority that was given to man at the very beginning. We talked about that last week. But our agreement can either be with heaven or hell. You can empower heaven or you can empower hell by your agreement. And so Satan comes to you and he comes to me with lies. He is looking for, for our agreement. The enemy really has very little power. So his chief aim is to deceive. Deception is, is really 
his only power. That if he can get you to agree with his lies, then he is empowered in your life. But see, God comes to us with truth. He comes to us with the truth of his word. And see, he's looking for our agreement. His desire is, is to release heaven into the earth through our agreement, through our coming into alignment with heaven and agreeing with him, seeing heaven come to the earth. And see, when that happens, his kingdom comes. His will is done. Now, I, I just want to read that verse one more time. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, something has happened. The sin issue has been dealt with. We are not separated from God anymore. In fact, he lives inside of us. And all the promises of God in Christ are yes and in him, amen. In your notes, Heaven is saying yes and waiting for someone on the earth to say amen. Heaven is saying yes because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, but he's waiting for someone to say amen, to say, I, I believe God, I I'll take that promise. Heaven is waiting for someone on earth to agree, to say, so be it in my life so that heaven can be released in the earth. The word amen means so be it. It's a coming into agreement with heaven. But you know, there is a warfare involved. But you know, that it's, it's actually a good thing. You were actually made for this. You, you and I, we are in boot camp. We are being trained to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And see, this is all part of our training for eternity. And, and, and see, you have to have something to conquer to be a conqueror. And God has called each one of us to be conquerors. Does that make sense? Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said this, I... I have certain places in my Bible, as, as I'm sure you do too, that anytime I read that, it just grabs me. It's like something in my spirit just comes alive. And, and this is one of those verses for me. Matthew eleven twelve, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That word suffers there, it means it has to, to, to have been forcibly entered, and to take it by force means to seize it for themselves. I love the way the NIV translates this. It says, until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of light is forcefully advancing, advancing in this dark world. And see, whenever you heal the sick, you are engaging the kingdom of darkness. Whenever you cast a demon out of somebody, you, you are violently or forcibly engaging the kingdom of the darkness. You are breaking through enemy lines 
and setting captives free. Now, this verse, I guess, speaks to me of the, the tenacity and diligence that we are to walk in. We are to be violent for the kingdom. We are in a warfare. Now, Paul addresses that in Ephesians 6. He, he says, our battle is not with flesh and blood. No person, no one with skin on them is your enemy. And when someone falls, don't, don't point your finger at that person. Call out to God for mercy. Intercede for them. We are in a spiritual battle. So Paul describes this armor that we are to put on to fight effectively. Now this morning, I'm just going to focus on one part of that armor. Ephesians 6.14, the Apostle Paul said, Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth. It's part of being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, having your loins girded with truth. God wants us to have our loins, the reproductive part of us, girded with truth. Why? Because we are in a warfare. Now, in your notes, and the greatest defense against deception or the lies of the enemy is the truth. But there's more. There's, there's another reason why God wants our loins girded with truth. And so let's just analyze this verse for a moment. Your, your loins are the reproductive part of you. Now, now just think with me hypothetically, because there's a powerful analogy for us here that, that we need to understand. He's trying to illustrate something for us. If your loins are girded or surrounded with deception and lies, and your loins are the reproductive part of you, what will be reproduced in your life? And in contrast, if your loins are girded or surrounded with truth, if the reproductive part of you is filled with the truth of God's word, what will be reproduced in your life? Your loins are the reproductive part of you physically. Is that right? But according to the scriptures, this part of your body is not the only loins that you have. This is not the only reproductive part of your body. Why do I say that? Because of something the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13. And to me, this, this is kind of mind-blowing if you grasp it. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There, there is something very powerful here. Gird up the loins of your mind or your understanding, you have another reproductive system. You have another reproductive organ. It's the loins of your mind. This is your other reproductive organ. It's important that the loins of our mind, that they are girded with truth. 
Why? Because it will reproduce whatever it's girded with. Or as the writer of Proverbs has said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. For good or for bad. As a man thinks in his heart, that will be reproduced in his life. That there's a very good reason for us to guard our thoughts. Your life will reflect what goes on in this reproductive organ. If the loins of your mind are girded or surrounded with, with lies, if you bought into the, the deception or the lies of the enemy, if there are strongholds of the enemy in your mind, what do you think your life is going to look like? What will that reproduce in your life? If, if our mind is a reproductive organ and the loins of our mind are girded or surrounded with truth, what will that reproduce in our lives? I, 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 will, I will tell you, God will begin to impact the world around you through you. Now, this is why if God can change the way we think, if we will let him into this area of our lives and begin to change the way we think, he will change the way we live. Romans 12, 2. And see, you won't be conformed to this world, embracing the values of the culture, but rather you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, it's only the renewed mind that can recognize God's will. It's only the mind that has been renewed by the word of God that can see things clearly. An unrenewed mind walks in confusion because there is a mixture of the world's ways and the world's value system that, that, is, that is causing confusion. That, that, that's why, let me just say it out loud, okay? That's why there are people that profess to be Christian that think it's okay to murder unborn babies. Because they, they, they haven't got, been girded with the truth. I mean, they're exposed to it. Some of it's there, but they're also embracing and inviting and receiving the values of the world. And see, you, you don't, they don't know what the will of God is. See, it's the renewed mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is where I'm going with this. Change in our life begins with change thinking. Or in your notes, living differently begins with thinking differently. Because what is going on in our lives or in our minds will be reproduced in our lives. The first battle to win for every Christian is the battle of the mind. We've got to let God bring change to our thinking. We've got to let God have access to this area of our lives. In Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24, Paul is talking about 
putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And if you look at it closely, you will see he is talking about putting off the old way of thinking and putting on a new way of thinking. In fact, in the middle of that, verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There is intellect, but there's a deeper place also. The spirit of your mind. Now we're talking about the power that truth has in our lives. It, it not only protects us from deception and keeps us from buying into the lies of the enemy, which is very important. But it does more than that. Your thoughts will be reproduced in your life. If, if, if your thoughts, if my thoughts are encircled with the truth of God's word, it will propel us into the things that God has for us. Now, Jesus communicated this in a, in a profound way. What, what we're talking about here this morning in John chapter 8. And so, uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. You guys are so quiet. We'll be noisy. Okay. <laughs> Samuel's always game for that. He'll, he'll jump on it. That's what I like about you. Uh, other things too, other things too. John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed. Now, these are believing Jews. So Jesus is talking to Jewish people who have come to faith. They've begun to embrace their Messiah. And, and, and they believe in him. So now he is telling them the next step. Now that you believe in me, this is the next step. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now Jesus is clearly defining discipleship here. And it has to do with the word of God. You are my disciple because you have 13 Bibles. No, it really doesn't matter how many hard copies or digital copies of the Bible you have. It's about abiding or living in his word. He is talking about having a relationship with his word. It's about the word getting inside of us to that deeper place and us learning to live in his word. It's about having an intimate relationship with the word of God, which brings us into an intimate relationship with truth. And out of that intimacy, things begin to be birthed and come forth in our lives. Now, what Jesus is saying is, if you will live in my word, if you will abide in my word, and my word gets inside of you, then this next verse is true. The natural result of abiding in my word is this, verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Now, that's quoted a lot out of context. I've heard in many different situations, people say, well, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But that's way out of context. When Jesus said it, he said, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. He was talking about the truth that's found in his word that you experience by abiding in his word. 
and you shall know the truth. Now, that doesn't mean you will know about the truth. You can know about something or know about someone and not know them. You know, I know some things about former President Trump, but I don't know him. That there is more to knowing about something than just expanding your knowledge. And you shall know the truth. That speaks of intimacy. Intimacy. Now, that doesn't mean that you will learn something new. It's not about learning more stuff. It's not an intellectual thing. It means like Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It's speaking of intimacy. You will know the truth as a result of abiding or living in my word, you will begin to have an intimate relationship with truth and something will be birthed out of that in intimacy that will have a liberating effect on your life. In your notes, truth is a liberating force. It's not knowing about truth. It's intimately knowing truth. See, then the truth of God's word becomes this liberating force in our life that sets us free from all of the lies of the enemy. It sets us free from the deception of the deceiver. And see, if the enemy's main power is deception, we have just rendered him ineffective in our lives. Are you hearing me? So what is the remedy for deception? It's called truth. But not just a, a mental assent to the truth. Oh, I, I know that God loves me. The Bible tells me. So there's a difference between knowing truth intellectually and knowing truth intimately. Now let me try to illustrate the potential problem. And I, I see this widespread in Christianity today. If I have believed a lie that the enemy has sown in my life, that God couldn't possibly love me, I am too unworthy. I know what a wretched sinner I am. And over time, I have become intimate with that lie. I have fellowshiped with it so much. It's now deep down inside of me. It's the place where I live from. It's where I do life from. And though I may mentally assent to the truth of God's word, that God loves me, that I am his child, that his love for me is unconditional, I can mentally assent to that all I want, but I will live from that place where I have believed a lie. I will act and live life like that lie is true. Because it is true to me. I don't know if I'm explaining this well enough or not. As a young Christian, I professed to believe many things. You know, I would see something in my Bible and I would declare it to be true. And if you would have asked me if I, if I believed a certain thing, I would have said yes. Because that is what the Bible says. And there were many things that, that I believed and that I, that I professed to others that I believed, but I discovered that when push came to shove, I found myself 
living or acting like those things weren't true. And I began to realize that just mentally assenting to truth wasn't enough. I have to become intimate with that truth until it gets inside of me and until it becomes the place that I live from. Many Christians settle for acquiring knowledge. In fact, they're on this quest for more and more knowledge, but it's the wrong quest. It's the wrong pursuit. And because of that, you know, they're never satisfied. They're, they're always end up looking for new stuff, for more stuff. Oh, I've already heard that. I know that already. Give me something new. Tantalize my thoughts. Feed me. But the problem is, the reason that they always want something new is because the truth that they have, they only have it intellectually. And that isn't enough. It hasn't gone deep into their hearts yet. It has not become the place where they live from. Why would Jesus say, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, if you make my word your home, and it'll get down inside of you, and you will know intimately the truth. And that truth will become a liberating force in your life and set you free from every lie of the enemy. It will pull down every stronghold in your life. How important is it to feed on the word? You know, I, I hate the word habit. I, that's too strong. I don't hate it. I, I dislike it. I don't like the, the word habit. I don't really like a lot the word discipline. But one word that I, I really do like, and I'm, I'm coming to understand it better, is the word rhythm. What rhythms do you have in your life? Because the rhythms that we chose, what, what is your, your daily routine? What is the rhythm that, that, is, that is part of your life? And, and is there a place in that rhythm for the word of God to where you're spending time listening, reading, hearing, meditating on, letting it get down inside of you to where you, you have an intimacy with the word of God, and that intimacy is birthing things in your life that, ex that is expressed through liberty and freedom. See, it, it's not about a quest for more and more knowledge, more and more information. The quest that I am on is I want to know God. I want to know him better and better and better. And I want his truth to be what is dominant in my life, protecting me from all the lies of the enemy, protecting me from the, the cross-culture that's happening in the world today. I want to be in a place where I clearly discern the will of God. I know what God's will is, he told me. I don't have to be confused by what the world is saying or what anybody else is saying. 
Jesus said it's the one who hears the word and, and does it. A, a, a person who practices the word. He said that person, they, they're building their life on something so solid that, that it's like their house is on a rock. And when the storms of life come and hit that house, and the storms of life hit every house, every house. But when they hit that house, it just stands strong. Because it's built, it's based on the word of God. It's based on the truth of God's word. See, if I'm just mentally assenting to things, if I just have things intellectually, it isn't enough. It needs to go deep in my heart and become that place where I do life from. See, we can, we can be mentally assenting to certain truths while living, while living from this other place where the lies of the enemy still rule over us because we've been intimate with the lies. We've fellowshiped with the lies. Knowing something and believing something are two different things. A stronghold is not just some contrary thinking. It doesn't become a stronghold until you get intimate with it. It takes fellowshipping with it for it to become a stronghold. Now see, that's why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you stay in my word, if you make it your home, then you are my disciples indeed. My word is going to do a work in you. The washing of water by the word will begin to remove the lies and the deceptions and the strongholds of the enemy. You will be clean because of the word that I have spoken to you and you will develop intimacy with truth and that truth will become a liberating force in your life and it will go deep in you into the place where you live from. There was a guy that had a hit song back when I was a teenager, maybe early 20s. His last name was McGuire. I want to say Toby, but I'm not sure. He, he had this hit song, The Eve of Destruction. Barry McGuire, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, after he had that hit, he had a radical conversion to the Lord. In fact, he's the one that was the producer for the second chapter of Acts, a couple of their albums. But somebody said to him one time, he said, you Christians, we're all, you're all brainwashed. And he, he just thought about it for a minute. He said, yeah. He said, man, when I came to the Lord, my brain needed a good washing. <laughs> you're right. And I love it. Can you see why change begins internally? Change happens first here. Now notice I'm not just touching my head. See, there's a part of your mind that is deeper than your intellect. Paul alluded to it when he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's that deep place that we're talking about. See, when you meditate on scripture, that's what happens. I've heard meditation likened unto a cow chewing its cud, which I, I don't necessarily like that picture. 
But, you know, a cow will chew its cud and it'll swallow it and then it'll come back up, chew it some more. That's what happens when you meditate. You meditate on it and it goes down and then, it, and then you, lo and behold, you'll just come back up and you'll start meditating it on some, on some more. But you see, eventually, eventually, that food becomes flesh. Eventually, when you meditate, that word becomes flesh. It becomes who you are. It becomes the place where you live from. Change first happens in here before it begins to manifest around us. What goes on on the inside of me will affect my external reality. Your internal reality will affect or become your external reality. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what happened to the children of Israel why, why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? I, I want to show you something you may or may not have seen before. But Hebrews 3.10 tells us, God is talking about the children of Israel in that season. They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. In other words, they were wandering in their hearts and thus they wandered for 40 years. Their internal reality became their external reality. Now, now let's keep going here. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. It's part of his job description. Once we have come to Christ and have given our, our, our life to him, we've actually been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light the kingdom of God's dear son, and the devil can't do anything about it. He cannot change what God has done in your life, but he still has an agenda regarding you. He couldn't stop you from being saved. He can't change your status. So the one thing on the top of his agenda for you is to incapacitate you and in turn stop you from reaching others for the kingdom. How is he going to do that? Well, he is the accuser of the brethren. In your notes, the enemy endeavors to incapacitate us through accusation. But by feelings of shame and, and condemnation and guilt, he wants to render us ineffective for the kingdom. So he introduces shame and condemnation. And he wants you to fellowship with those thoughts until you have fully embraced them. He doesn't care what you mentally assent to. He doesn't care what you intellectually believe or even what you say out loud you believe as long as he has that stronghold in your life. Now, it's all a lie. It's all deception, but that doesn't matter. If he can get you to buy into it, to embrace it, if he can get you to agree with him, he's got you where he wants you. It's all about agreement. Are you going to agree with God? Or are you going to agree with the enemy? Are you going to agree with heaven? Or are you going to agree with hell? Worship team, please come. So here's the truth. Here's the voice of truth. The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In your notes, here's the truth. 
The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And when you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, all that's left is righteousness, only it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness imputed to you by faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now that truth is something worth fellowshipping with. That truth is something worth, worth meditating on. Grace is what God has given you. It's given you your standing before, before God. Grace is what positioned you in a place of favor with God. Spend time fellowshipping with that truth until it becomes the place that you live from. It's not based on, on what you do or don't do. It's solely based on what Jesus did when he died on the cross and your faith in him. You are saved by grace through faith. The moment you confess your sin to him. I don't care what you've done. The moment you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Please stand. I want us to pray. Just pray this with me. Father, you have given me mighty weapons to pull down strongholds. I stand before you today as your child I stand in my place of authority. I pull down strongholds and thought patterns in my life that are contrary to the knowledge of God. Let enemy strongholds come down in Jesus' name. Lord, let faith arise in my heart let my expectation be activated. I let go of old ways of thinking. In the name of Jesus. Every thought that, that, that has permeated my life from the enemy come down in Jesus' name. I invite heaven's thoughts to fill me. Holy Spirit, I choose to fellowship with you and with your word. I want to know your thoughts. Father, permeate my understanding. In Jesus' name, let every thought be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Father. If God can change the way you think, He'll change the way you live. That's what this year is about. Breaking thought patterns off of us that have hindered us, that have, have been so far below God's God's word, God's truth. Embracing the truth of God's word, giving it place in our lives. Allowing God to be God. I want to invite prayer teams to come up and be available this morning to pray for people. The benediction is Acts 20, verse 32. So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God bless you, saints. Have a great, great week.